0: Welcome to Backlog Books. My name is Kara. My pronouns are she, her. This is the podcast where I spend a few minutes talking about what I have been reading lately. Please be prepared for some spoilers ahead of us. Whether you are a a 17-books-a-year reader or a a one-book-a-year reader, thank you for joining me. The books I'm talking about today are not particularly well-known, to judge by the number of reviews available for them online. I personally was drawn in by their shiny holographic covers. Today, we are talking about School of Light by Jody Lynn Nye. It is a vaguely connected sequel, so I'll talk some about the first book as well, which is called Waking in Dreamland. Here is the summary for School of Light, which is really long. Okay, here we go. Where does your mind go when you fall asleep? To the dreamland where seven sleepers dream the ever-changing landscape drawn by the trillions of sleeping minds from the waking world, where form follows function, so a hovel today may be a castle or cave tomorrow, where the people battle nightmares with only the strength of their will and sanity. Jewel is the youngest and most promising new student to enter the strange new world of the School of Light. At this legendary institution, she will learn how to master illusion, the highest form of art in the dreamland. Her talent has excited the interest of many of the senior students, the professors, but most important of all, the idealists. They are the elite of the illusionists, a tightly knit group of talents who admit jewel to their mysterious circle in the ivory tower. Her mentor, an idealist named Rutaro, has embarked upon a project to surround the Castle of Dreams with an image of perfection in which Jewel will play a key role. But other students who are jealous of Jules' good fortune set out to pervert Rutaro's design. What they have in mind bears no resemblance to reality. The worst part is that no one—not Rutaro, nor the king, the ministers, or even Rowan, the king's investigator—seems to notice that the government of the Dreamland is plunging into deadly chaos. Jule is faced with having to find the reality within the fantasy with the only skill she has at hand—illusion. The first book in this trilogy, Waking in Dreamland, was published in 1998. School of Light was published in 1999, and the third book was published in 2000. I started reading School of Light on May 21st and finished on June 6th, 2020. Jodi Lynn Nye was born in 1957 and has written over 40 novels. She writes a lot of science fiction and contemporary fantasy, and a good number of her books are collaborations with other authors. Apparently, she also teaches the science fiction writing workshop at Dragon Con in Atlanta every year. I was planning to go to Dragon Con this year before everything was canceled due to COVID-19. It is a strange time that we are living through. So, I found a dollar bill in this book, and I think that was my favorite part. This is probably not going to be a positive ride, so please bear with me. Before I talk about School of Light, however, let me give you a quick summary of the first book, Waking in Dreamland, based on my vague memories from having read it in February. A scientist wants to wake up the sleepers. You know, the seven sleepers who create Dreamland with their dreams. He wants to see what will happen for science. Science. Everyone else agrees that waking the sleepers will destroy Dreamland, so the king of Dreamland sends a group of people to chase the scientist and stop him. This group is always one step behind the scientist, and they only catch up to him when he's in the room with the sleepers about to wake them up. They succeed in stopping him, of course, and discover that the leader of their party, the king's investigator Rowan, looks just like one of the sleepers so they decide that he's an avatar of the sleeper, sort of. The thing about Rowan is that he never changes, unlike literally everyone everything else in Dreamland, so obviously something weird was going on with him already. Finding an avatar, sort of, is a pretty big deal for them. They know the sleepers are responsible for their world's existence, so finding out that someone has the face of one of the sleepers is completely unexpected. That's how the first book ends. The party is looking between the sleeper and Rowan, and they are in awe. Now, in School of Light, we switch directions pretty dramatically. Instead of following the king's investigator Rowan on a mission to save the entire existence of Dreamland, we switch to following a teenager as she joins the illustrious school of art and illusion known as the School of Light. Jewel, our main character here, is naive and very earnest and kind of dumb, but you know, that's understandable. She's 15 and at the snootiest ideal of art school imaginable. She's trying very hard to be friends with everyone. The other art students are mean-spirited and rude or act like they're superior to everyone else, and Jewel is very earnest in her desire to create beautiful art and become a real artist. We do also return to the main character from the first book, Rowan, the King's Investigator. And as I said before, he's the only person in all of Dreamland who always looks the same. Because of this lack of mutability, he faces a lot of discrimination. He's repeatedly called a freak, and despite his position as the king's investigator, there are more people who dislike and distrust him than like him. In this book, his unchangingness puts him in mortal danger. Jewel starts illusion school, and we follow her first confusing days trying to navigate the ever-changing school. In Dreamland, there are waves of influence that sweep over everything. Think of it like a literal wind of change. When influence rolls through, things change their form, but not their function. So a car might become a wagon, a house might become a castle, or, most commonly, people change shape and style. On her first day, Jewel latches on to an art clique, a group of students who purposely resist the constant waves of influence. If everyone around them is in pastels, they must be in all black. Jewel thinks they're really cool, and she works very hard to be accepted by them. This is made more difficult when she's accepted into the inner circle of idealists, seven students who have been at the school since it was founded, pretty much, and have a great deal of personal influence. I'm not sure exactly why they're so impressed by Jewel. She seems to do the same things everyone else does, with just a little more finesse or enthusiasm, maybe. One of the idealists takes Jewel on as his protege, and with her encouragement, he decides to create a perfect, ideal image of the king's castle to cover the real castle with as an art project for an upcoming exhibit. As far as I remember, they don't actually ask for permission to do this, they just go for it. One of the more interesting things talked about in these books is the idea of being a dreamed person and knowing you are just an aspect of someone else's dream. So, when the idealist decides to create a perfect image, it creates this controversy because who are the dreamed to question the will of the dreamers? Creating an ideal image of the castle or of anything in dreamland is kind of scandalous. It's like saying that the sleepers' vision is imperfect in some way. After all, the people of Dreamland are given face and shape by the sleepers. Surely the sleepers have good reasons for what they dream. But the art project goes on until it is disrupted. The Idealist recruits hundreds of artists from the School of Light, and their individual ideas on perfection unsurprisingly do not mesh. The whole project begins to go haywire, with a little extra sabotage from the art clique. Not to say the idealist is without fault here. It is his plan to add an illusory layer of perfection to the castle, and he really doesn't keep a very close eye on it. When a citizen interrupts him, wanting to find a minister from the government, the idealist creates an illusory minister just to get the supplicant to leave him alone. This of course, inspires all the other artists to try their hand at creating their own fake ministers. Soon, artists and their fake ministers are literally running the government. The art students actually do an okay job running the government, except that their fake king orders Rowan's execution. It is a very slow build to get to the rush of action at the end of this book. Now, the end, where they struggle through the illusion set around the castle to stop Rowan's execution and then to rescue the idealist, was good. Jewel, at this point, has learned to stand up for herself and trust her skill as an illusionist, and she takes the lead in the rescues. Consequences, at the end, are minimal. The art clique who imprisoned the idealist and forcibly took inspiration from his mind and who nearly got Rowan killed are bumped down to the first year of school. The minister of government who attempted to have Rowan executed is just scolded. He's not even fired. He gets a slap on the wrist and told not to do it again. And to be clear, this is someone who took advantage of the illusory king to order Rowan's execution based solely on Rowan's appearance. It is unfortunate for this book that I read it when I did there are protests across the United States right now, for many good reasons, but mostly the protests are because our entire system is built to oppress people based on the color of their skin. So to have the minister in this book, who still doesn't believe that Rowan should exist, left in his position of power and simply told not to do it again, is appalling. It's important to me to acknowledge that what's happening in my life, does directly affect how I feel about what I read, as I'm sure it does everyone. At any other time, I might have been annoyed at this choice or considered it a sign of how kind and forgiving Rowan is, which I am clearly meant to do, but I would not have been angry like I am now. I could spend a lot more time talking about this, but I would like to refocus. I like plenty of the ideas in this book. A dreamed world where people are dreams and know that they are? A land where everything and everyone is constantly changing according to the whims of our dreams in the waking world? The school of light, where illusionists learn to bend light and shadow and perception, is also very cool conceptually. Also, in dreamland, metaphor is their reality. There's a scene where some students are bit by a literal mischief bug and caught later by the arm of a policeman stretching to catch them, the long arm of the law in play. And if you call someone a chicken with enough force of will, they're likely to start sprouting feathers. But, in some ways, these books lean into the worst aspects of dreaming. Time and logic have no place here. You know when you have an amazing dream, but when you describe it to someone it comes out sounding weird and disjointed? That's what reading these books was like. Just like in dreams, time doesn't pass in a logical way. This was much more obvious in the first book, where they would spend hours distracted or going the wrong way and still manage to be right behind the people they were chasing. But it also happened in the second book, where an event would be in a few days and a few days would pass, only for the event to still be a few days away. This is perfectly fine and totally expected in dreams, but it makes for a very frustrating reading experience. The world, for all the descriptions that we get, doesn't feel fleshed out or explored. There's a line in the book about how it's the job of the dreamlanders to solve dreams from the waking world, and that's all they say about it. I don't know what that means. Maybe it's just another aspect of trying to make this dreamlike. You don't often question your dreams. You just accept that all this weird stuff is happening to you. These stories probably would work better in a visual medium. So much of our page time here is spent describing how the waves of influence change the world. You get an initial description of someone's appearance, and then a few pages later, you get another description as it changes. The discussions the characters have on the philosophy of art and what it means to be dreamed are lost in the noise of endless, changing descriptions. Apparently, there is a third book. I will not be buying it. I can't do it. I don't want to know anymore. I think if you can get into these books and really embrace the suspension of disbelief, they might be okay. Unfortunately, they just did not jive with my reading style. My final word on the Dreamland books, if you are interested in reading any Jody Lynn Nye books, don't start with these. I'm giving them away. They were not the books for me. If you are interested in exploring some media that is similar to this, I suggest checking out Mirror Mask the Movie, written by Dave McKean and Neil Gaiman. It has an otherworldly, dreamlike quality to it and is plenty weird. Also, you can check out the podcast Welcome to Night Vale. Start with episode one and soak in the strangeness. And that's it. Join me next time to hear about space travel. You can find the podcast on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. Thoughts, questions, have you read these books and you want to talk about them too? You can reach me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. The music you heard at the beginning and here at the end was by Joseph McDade. You can find his music at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for sticking it out until the end. I know this was a difficult one. I hope to talk with you again soon.